As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the game uh, Euro 2022. We are up to the semi-final stage. Today we will look ahead to England against Sweden and ask if Serena Wiegmann, the England boss, needs to make some crucial changes ahead of that game in the semi-finals. Also, another huge game on the way between Germany and France. Who will be the victors when it comes down to France's fantastic attack or that stout German defence? Our views on the final four coming up on the game. Hello again and welcome back to the game for this Women's Euros, which is, is moving along swimmingly. I'm Hugh Wissencroft today. Uh, I'm joined by Molly Hudson and Gregor Robertson of The Times once again. The Women's Euros has reached the business end of the competition. Seems, uh, well, it seems quite simple to say it, quite mad to say it too. But there are just three games remaining as we hit the semi-final stage before Sunday's showpiece at Wembley, where England will be absolutely desperate, I'm sure, to end this home Euros in the perfect way. But they they do have some work before they get there. A couple of hurdles to jump first, starting with Sweden at Bramall Lane on Tuesday night in the final four. Uh, you'll remember England beat Spain after extra time, as we've discussed previously. But since we've last spoken, Sweden needed a 92nd minute winner to beat Belgium 1-0 with their 33rd shot of the game. So it could be a tough one for England up next. They're, they're facing a side unbeaten in their four matches, including a one-all draw against the Netherlands in the group stage. That was, I think, an early barometer of their quality. Uh, Molly, I'm going to start with you today. How big is this game? When we talk about the, the, the history of the Lionesses. I think it's massive because I think it's probably England's best chance of getting to a final. Obviously, in recent history, you know, they got there in 2009. But I was actually looking back for, for something that I'm writing um, at the three semifinals that we've lost. And before pretty much everyone, there's been some kind of disaster that's almost ruined it before England have even got out onto the pitch. In 2015, they just the squad just didn't really believe they could win it, I don't think. I think it was something of a shock to reach a semifinal and they never quite kind of got past that awe of reaching the last four. In 2017, Jill Scott was suspended, which just completely ruined England's midfield balance and they never really recovered. And then in 2019, there were some very strange selection calls leading up to that match. So I think everything feels very calm. That's certainly the, the buzzword in the England camp at the moment. Being calm, being relaxed, knowing 
what England have done to get to this stage, knowing that Serena Wiegmann has, has been there and done it. And I think that gives England the best chance to progress. And I suppose it, it seems strange to take it for granted, almost reaching a semi-final of a major tournament, but it does feel a little like a par now for England, how often they've done it. And I think if they could just get to that next stage, even even if they lost the final, just getting to a final a Wembley final, a home tournament, the way that would propel the game and the way it would be looked back on, I think would just be incredible. So this really is, uh, it's cliche to say, but it really is the next game is the most important game. And I just think England can do it. And that's a bit of a new one for me, considering I was a bit pessimistic before we played Spain. I just think the way that England have prepared this time is really what sets them apart from being around the squad in previous years. Gregor, what do you think about England in this game and the pressure that they might feel? Because we're really into heartbreak territory now. I think the pressure will really ramp up. Missing out on the final, I think, would be total, total heartbreak. And then, look, if England get to the final and and were to lose, well, we all know what sort of devastation that would be as well. Things do ramp up at this stage. Um, We're going to see, I think, Aside from the quality of the players and their individual talent on the pitch, what they're made of in terms of their character as well. Yeah, I have to say, I don't think we've really had any evidence that pressure has has played a part thus far. Perhaps in the opening game, you could say that. But then if you look retrospectively at the the way that Austria played against, you know, several good opponents, um, that, that was a tough task. I don't think the Spain game had anything to do with pressure. Personally, I thought... Spain were just excellent in the first half and it took a real kind of digging deep into the well of, uh, of resolve for England to to pull something out and to get the equaliser and to go on and win that game. So I don't think, I don't see anything, I've not seen anything so far to suggest that pressure's going to get the better of them. I know this is another, as you say, it's another step up, another huge moment. And you know, I was at the Germany game the other night against Austria and just... Even even after the game, the, the the German media were asking them about the potential of a final against England at Wembley. You know, it's not lost on them either. It's like there is a huge, I know they've got to play France, but there's a huge kind of goal at the end of this now. And that is mouthwatering. As Molly said, the prospect of a sold-out Wembley, a home competition, and what, what that would do for the women's game, regardless of the result, clearly winning would be, you know, seismic. But regardless of that, that event would be enormous and this is the this does ramp the pressure up a little bit but I, I have faith I have faith I'm surprised to hear myself saying that I have faith in England yeah listen I think after what we've seen so far there's no reason for us not to have faith in England but as you mentioned it, it, it is a step up and it's knockout football you know one bad game one mistake it could come down to we've seen the fine margins already in this competition and for me it makes it all the more nail biting now you might be more confident than I am and I think we all know I am the nail sayer of the podcast. There are some concerns for me going into this. And I think one of the big debates, Molly, is around whether England should stick or twist a number of of areas of the pitch where players who started the tournament as substitutes have really put their hands up for inclusion in the starting 11. And we've also, uh, I think Casey Stoney was talking about it on our previous podcast, there was an element of fatigue when it came to England. So is this the opportunity, if you are thinking about going all the way in that final to maybe freshen things up slightly. And before we get to some of those key areas, just on that wider point, would you stick or twist? Do you feel like some fresh legs are needed at this point? Maybe this is 
kind of getting into the individuals as well and the same answer. But uh, I think some of those players off the bench and done very well, you know, you, you can't fault them, for example, likes of Alessio Russo. I think they work well off the bench. I think they work well in that period of a game where a defence is tired and they're able to bring that little bit more energy. They're able to bring that different sort of form of attack. And I think I think it's always easy to say, well, they've done well in the last game. Let's start them. I think if you swap it round to the players that have started, they wouldn't have the same impact off the bench. And I think for that reason, I would probably stick to the team. I think... It's clearly something that Serena Wiegmann has done, not just with England, but throughout her career. She did it with with the Netherlands. And obviously they they won the tournament in, in 2017. I think, yeah, I think it is easy to look at it and say, well, this could be better, this could be better. But actually it's got us to this stage and there feels a real togetherness and gel in those various sort of, you know, whether it's the, the back four, whether it's the midfield. And I think for me, I'd probably keep it how it is. Stick. I'm the same. I know there are a couple of areas where there's it's going to be some debate about this until we see the team sheet uh, tomorrow night. But I agree. I think that the the impact that substitutes have made so far is a strength. And I think that the other other key kind of area is, is left back. I think the only one for, for a starting place personally is left back. And I think Rachel Daly's performances until the second half of that game are enough for her to keep her place. And, you know, it was a, it was a torrid second half, but I think she, she's been pretty much outstanding until that point. And I think, I think she should keep her place as well. Now I'm going to have to drill down into some of this, Gregor. And I know you've just spoken about the left back area. So why don't we start there? I will come to some other areas of the pitch as well. Alex Greenwood or Rachel Daly at left back. That's a big question. Aslani and Glass have caused a lot of trouble combining down the right-hand side for Sweden in a 3-4-3 three, three that we saw in particular uh, in the last game. And it is a concern. Rachel Daly is a natural forward. Uh, Alex Greenwood's a natural defender. Um, but I also think there is an element, and you've played uh, in the left fullback area, Gregor, where you need your wide player to help you out. And that has been Lauren Hemp. And we're going to come to whether she deserves to start in terms of her position a little bit later on. But is it a case of more uh, an adaptation of tactics than personnel when it comes to defending the left fullback area? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, broadly speaking, over the tournament, Lauren Hemp has, has defended well. She's she trapped back, she's pressed well, but it was just a different proposition against Spain, and particularly in that second half, in a game where she wasn't having a good a good time herself, Lauren Hemp. Rachel Dale was just left too too exposed too frequently. And I think, you know, so far she's been able to to handle that. She came up against a really tough opponent in, in Del Castillo in that second half. And you're right, there are going to be threats. It's I think there are going to be different threats, not necessarily an individual threat like that, but the combinations, that's part of the reason why I think she deserves to keep her place because she's read the game very well. I know that, you know, the the mistake for the goal was one kind of rash moment, but she reads the game well from, from left back. Certainly she has done in, so far in the tournament. And, you know, Aslani, if she's, you know, I think there's some doubts about her, but if she's, she's fit, she can drift over into the right, right pocket and it's about talking. It's about communication with the midfielders Walsh and Stanway and both Hemp and I have no doubt whatsoever that Serena Wiegmann will have been getting the players up to, up to scratch on that and that threat um, but I think I think it is more of a sort of collective 
you know, there, there were one really kind of tough 1v1 moments to watch, but I think that they can be, you know, mitigated by defending better as a collective. What do you think about it, Molly? Aslani's going to be a huge threat down the right-hand side. Is Greenwood best suited to take her on? I think if you just purely look at a 1v1 battle on paper, I think Alex Greenwood is the better defender against Aslani. But I think what you have to take into consideration is that it's a major tournament and Rachel Daly has just played four games in a row, won four games with this back four. And I think in that context, that's why I would keep Rachel Daly because, you know, we we talk a lot about what she does or doesn't bring in defence, but she's good in the air in both boxes. She's quick. She offers an overlap with Lauren Hemp. She, she, so, you know, you, you get the benefit of an attacking fullback as well, which I don't think you get from Alex Greenwood quite as much, although she does have a good dead ball. And I think you can't look at that, as, as Gregor said, you know, for most of the tournament, she's played well and she hasn't been playing against poor opposition. You know, she has been tested and she's, she's done pretty well. So I just think if Serena Viegman does change that, it would be very anti-Serena Viegman. It would be very anything that she's ever done in this tournament. But then, as I said that, just reminded me of Pep Guardiola going into big games and changing things that he would never normally change. So, you know, maybe maybe when we get to the team sheet tomorrow tomorrow evening, we, we shall see a, a bit of a surprise. But I just think stick with what has worked. And it didn't necessarily work against Spain in the second half, but that was quite a specific set of circumstances. Del Castillo was fantastic, but she was off the bench with fresh legs. And if that does happen again, if Sweden did bring someone off the bench for the second half, then you can always change it. You can always bring Greenwood on. So I think, and also it, it kind of works as a more defensive change. If you're trying to see a game out, you can take Daly off and bring Greenwood on. So I think... I think I personally would start with Daly, but I do understand the reasoning behind Greenwood starting and being more defensive to to kind of set that tone early on. Yeah, I mean, we we haven't really spoken about the uh, the possibility that England go 2-0 down because of a, a poor choice in that area, you know. It's all about seeing the game out as far as Molly Hudson's concerned. This English arrogance has really dominated uh, the podcast so far. I can only apologise. For me, I think... Again, you can call me an ace if you like, but in, in games of this magnitude, the game can get away from you very, very quickly. And you don't want that to happen. Maybe Greenwood does represent a stodgy nil-nil and being in the game with 15 minutes left and bringing on those great substitutes that you've had throughout the tournament and letting them have that impact in the latter stages. Um, what you wouldn't want to happen is look, England were chasing the game against Spain. They were confident they were always going to get back into it maybe Lightning won't strike twice. You know, you don't want to be in that situation again. And will they learn from the game against Spain that they, they you know, at times found it difficult when, when coming from behind? Yes, they got the job done in the end. But like I say, they won't want to rely on that, will they? There is a part of me that thinks Alex Greenwood should start for that. And also I've spoken about it since the start of the tournament. I do think the left foot maybe provides a bit of extra balance and a natural overlapper, if you like, as great as Rachel Daly has been going forward. But I don't know. I, you know, I think Daly will probably start for all the reasons that you mentioned there, Molly, about Serena Beegman and, and not wanting to change. But I wonder if that will just gnaw away at her, that decision. We'll see what happens when the team is announced. Now, I also mentioned in front of the left fullback, for me, this is a change that I would make. And I know everyone loves Lauren Hemp. She is a fantastic player. She hasn't had 
a superb tournament. So many people were thinking this was going to be her really announcing herself uh, to the world, if you like. I don't think she's doing enough to hold on to her place as, as I guess she's played well, not terribly. But I think Chloe Kelly has been absolutely fantastic, always injected something when she's come onto the pitch for England. And, you know, if you're one of those coaches that thinks you, you can play yourself into the team, then surely she has at this point in time. Uh, Molly, I'll start with, with you on this one. Is this an area where Serena Wigman could make a change for you? I think yeah, calling for Lauren Hemp to be dropped is a very bold statement from you, um, is what I would say. Um, You've got to do I, the job. I mean, you just got to get out there and do the job, but Chloe Kelly has. I, I think what has worked against Chloe Kelly is the timing of her ACL injury and the very first camp she played under Wigman was the provisional squad. So I think the context here is that Wiegmann hasn't seen too much of her. She hasn't worked too much of her. I know it's easy to say, just judge what she's done in the tournament. But I think when it comes to a game of this magnitude, you're going to pick someone that you trust and has delivered in the past, and that is Lauren Hemp. And I think what I really took from that Spain game was that Lauren Hemp didn't have a very good game at all. She struggled to hold the ball up when it came to her. You know, England were really struggling for possession and there were a few times where it did get to her and then she lost it. And that that was sort of criminal in that game because it was very rare that England actually got the ball. But Serena persevered with her. She didn't take her off when she took Beth Mead off, when she took Ellen White off, when she took Frank Herbie off. So firstly, I think that displays the trust that she has in Hemp. But also then Hemp delivered. She found that ball that Russo nodded down to Ella Toon. So I think with someone like Lauren Hemp on the pitch, maybe she's not been the most consistent that she could have been and she hasn't got anywhere near the form that maybe people expected her to have in this tournament. But she has that ability. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Chloe Kelly is a fantastic sub. She's a fantastic option off the bench. She's quite different because she's missed the whole season. Maybe there'll be people that don't actually know too much about her. Whereas I think Hemp has probably been targeted because she has been kind of lauded as this player that's that's going to be England's saviour. But for me, I'd stick with her. We know what she can bring. And I think when it comes to it, she has that ability, even if she isn't play, playing well generally, to provide that ball, to provide that dribble that, that gets fans off their seats, that gets in behind the defence. And I'd stick with her. I, I just don't think you can drop her at, at this stage. Gregor? There's no uh, big raging disagreements here, arguments. Molly and I were, were slating hemp in the first half against Spain. Let's be honest, Molly, about this. <laughs> she was, there was a few times where the ball was bouncing off her. She couldn't control it, never mind like just losing possession sloppily. She was really, really poor. I think I said in my, in my match ratings that she was fortunate not to be taken off like before Mead or Kirby. But she did. She, there's a reason why she was kept on the pitch. And I think that says a lot about what Serena Wiegmann thinks of her. And I think she, she's one of a number of players in that England team that, that grew in the, into the game. I'm not saying she, you know, she hit the heights in the extra time or anything, but she kept working. She kept get. She didn't hide. She kept trying to get on the ball. I'm always right. She did do something in the end that was very important for for England in, in the build up to the equaliser. So I don't think there's any chance she's going to be dropped. I think it's also important to say that a huge part of England's success so far has been has been the energy and the industry and the pressing of that front three plus Kirby, plus Stanway, that front five that I've spoken about before. And she's very much been a part of that. Um, so I think that's another reason why you will see minimal disruption, if any, to this to this England team. 
which I guess then includes the striker position, Ellen White and Alessia Russo. Molly, I mean, you, you got to come with me on this one. All right. Ellen White, one of my favorite players. I think she, she has to start. But a bit like the Kelly Hemp situation, there is pressure on that starting position. Alessia Russo hasn't put a foot wrong. I think the main difference is when you've got a, a forward who is picking up goals in form, if you like, seems to be more informed than the other in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. It's close, but one maybe is just edging the other. Just come with me on this. Okay. Does that in a manager's mind change things? Do you think, you know, in knockout football, that one goal is going to be the difference and maybe a Russo in form would be preferred? I actually agree with you if it wasn't Ellen White that she was playing against. I think any other striker, you know, you'd pick the one in form, right? As you say, for all of the reasons that you've just stated. But Ellen White is an England legend. She's the all-time top scorer. And in all of, pretty much all of the major knockout games that I remember, she's played a huge part. She scored. I mean, the, the Spain game is probably the quietest knockout game I can remember Ellen White having. You know, she's been absolutely fantastic in the Tokyo Olympics, in the 2019 World Cup, in that semi-final that we lost in 2019. She didn't really put her foot on wrong other than the toe that was offside. And I think for that reason, you have you have to you have to keep Ellen. And I think it is just the stature of the player. And I know I don't really like that, that, you know, players are undroppable as such, but it is a little bit like Harry Kane for the men. Just just what what she brings as a player, as a personality, the experience she has. And I think again, you know, Russo's quite untested. She's had an absolutely incredible tournament. But she, she's not really got experience. She's not, you know, that, that game against Spain would have been far and away the, the biggest game she's ever played in. And I think she is a good impact sub. She offers something different. And I think, as I said earlier, if you imagine it the other way round, I don't think Ellen White brings you that off the bench. I don't think she's that impact sub. Yes, she has the height, but I, I just don't think she works when a defence is tired. That's not really her kind of strength she's the one that wears them down and then Russo comes on and you know looks very good and scores all the goals and I don't think Ellen will will mind at all if the, if this is a tournament where she doesn't score as many goals doesn't look as good but ends it with a medal around her neck I don't think she'd mind that at all and I think you know for the good of the team I think Ellen starts does the dirty work and then Russo can come off the bench my only Problem is that I wonder if that's now getting a little bit predictable, particularly if you have a starting 11 that you pretty much know is going to be the starting 11. You know, whether it's Daly or Greenwood, it, it doesn't matter too much. I just think there is a risk that Sweden could work England out. I think there's a lot of areas in which what we've done well has been fairly consistent. Gregor mentioned it with, with the wingers and that high press. And I just, that's the only thing if we do keep with this stability for all of the logical reasons that we've discussed, hopefully England can kind of find a different way, maybe if Sweden do work them out quite early on. I don't know what changing personnel actually does to the overall game plan, though. To be really honest, I think this is England. They're going to go out and they're going to press high. They're going to hound and harry and hustle. And I don't think, you know, if, if Alicia Russo, Russo is, is preferred to Ellen White, she's still going to be asked to to do those things. There are things that, that Sweden can can know about England, like perhaps 
you can get get at them down the flanks. So, you know, Lucy Bronze is someone we've not spoken about there. She had a she had a tough tough night against against Spain. Sweden have had opponents that have sat in and they've been hard to break down. Now they're going to have space to exploit, and that's going to be, I'm sure, a big part of their game plan. As I say, I don't think actually the the personnel that we are talking about here, whether they come in, they're going to be asked to do the same job, just only only hopefully better. What chance, Gregor, are you giving Sweden in this match? Where do you think they will find success? I mean, definitely giving them a, a chance. This is, although as lacklustre as their, their performing and uh, win against Belgium was, they will argue, much like England they, they did after the Spain game, that they found a way to win. And, you know, this is the team ranked second in the world to also won, won bronze at the 2019 World Cup. Won silver in the Olympics last year, only lost to Canada, Canada on penalties. That's their last defeat. There still is a kind of a bit of a momentum, I think, to Sweden. Although they're not, they don't, you know, they, I think they would admit themselves they're not quite the same team. They're not reached the same heights as they did in those Olympics last year. They've not lost since then, and they have a lot of experience too. So, absolutely, that's one thing I would say: their experience and the the kind of momentum that they've built up in recent times. Their strength on set pieces is a big, a big, big thing that England need to be aware of. I think they scored five of their nine goals from set plays. They caused absolute havoc against Portugal in the 5-0 win. And, you know, the winner, winner the other night came from an Aslani corner. Uh, played a couple of smart free kicks as well, you know, straight off the training ground. So, and the other thing is that some of their big players, you know, we've spoken about Aslani, she's... She's been outstanding, one of the best players of the tournament, I think. And some of her kind of flourishes have been just about to watch. But some of the other big players, Stina Blackstenius, uh, who plays for Arsenal, Barcelona's Fridolina Rolfo, they've not hit the heights. And they, they will still, you know, they will want to leave their mark on this tournament. And they are top class players. So undoubtedly, Sweden have a chance. It's about whether England can can impose their style on Sweden as well as they have on uh, have, have done against against opponents so far in this tournament. What do England need to do to stop Sweden then, Molly? I think England need to play to their own strengths. I think in a lot of big games, we've always looked at how teams can threaten us. And I think we've always underestimated perhaps what England can offer. And I think in this tournament, they've showed that when England are at their best... And as Wiegmann has often said, we have to focus on us and playing to the best of our ability. When England have done that, they've they've proved they can kind of beat anyone, I think. And yes, there are areas you have to be wary of, of Sweden and particularly at set pieces, as, as Gregor said. But I think Casey Stoney mentioned it in her column for us the other day, but the best way to defend set pieces is, is not to give them away. Is not to allow Sweden to get into those areas and and to focus on England's attack and and I think that's where they can be the most dangerous. I think what we have to be aware of now is that every team steps up their game to play England because of how good they've been in this tournament. Spain in that quarterfinal was by far the best they'd played, and I think we should expect Sweden to do exactly the same. As Gregor said, they've really got some momentum in recent years. They used to always be tournament dark horses, and now they're very much not. They're very much, you know, the favourites. I tip them to to win the entire tournament because I think they've got the most all round team, and I I still think that. I think England's defence is still a weak area, but it hasn't really been punished. Even Spain, who had 
a lot of possession. They didn't really have that attacking thrust. And on paper, Sweden do have that. They do have a fantastic front line. It just hasn't quite got firing in this tournament. But looking at those world-class players, you can't rule it out that they're not going to find a way tomorrow night. You just you just have to hope that Wiegmann's influence can mean that England can get over this hurdle, which it must be a mental thing more than anything else. The fact that we've, we've got to these three successive semi-finals and each time just have failed. And I think that in a way will be England's biggest opponent. It's almost themselves more than it is Sweden. One thing on, on Black Stenius in particular, I think she's playing against a teammate in Leah Williamson. And another is she could quite easily have had, you know, she's only scored one goal. She could quite easily have had three. She's had two goals uh, chopped off from really narrow VAR decisions for offside. And there's no doubt in her quality. That's the thing. Like you've got to that trio in particular with Slani, Rolfo, and, and Blackstenius. I think one goal against I think it was Switzerland, which is one of the best moves of the tournament, where the ball went up to Blackstenius, laid back to Aslani, and Aslani's through ball to Rolfo, who made the the second man run. She finished it with a left foot. Another thing, Rolfo, Rolfo, she gets half a yard on her left foot. She'll hit it. So. Absolutely. There's some serious threats there. It's just, as I say, I, I agree with Molly. It's about England really kind of dominating with the same energy and intent that they have done so often so far. Okay. All right. I'm not going to ask you for score predictions, but in a word, who's going through to the final? Gregor, Molly? England. England. That's it. Kiss of death. <laughs> I'm going to say England as well. You're right, Gregor. Maybe that was the death knell, the curse uh, put on England. We're going to react. Of course, we will to that game on the next episode of the game podcast. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There is one other huge semi-final that we need to discuss before we go. It sees Germany taking on France. 
on Wednesday night in Milton Keynes. Uh, Germany beating Austria 2-0 in their quarter. The French knocked out the defending champions, the Netherlands, by a goal to nil after extra time. Let's start with the French, because we haven't really gone too in-depth uh, with them so far this tournament. Given their result against the Netherlands, do you think they have now turned themselves into favourites? For the Euros? I think they showed a different side to themselves. I, I was watching that game and, and it, uh, <laughs> Stephanie van der Graat was incredible. The the Netherlands defender just got in the way of everything. The goalkeeper was fantastic. And as the game went on, I just thought France are going to implode. They're going to, they're going to mess it up. They're, they're, they're going to become frustrated. And they didn't. They just carried on and they carried on until finally they found the goal. And that was a really impressive side of France because we know what they can do. We know the talent that they have. But I think for so often they've they've never they've never reached that potential. And in the same way that England have a bit of a semi-final hoodoo, you know, France had that hurdle at the quarterfinal. The fact they never got past the quarterfinal stage before, which is crazy when you think about it. Now that they've got past that, I think it will give them so much confidence. And I also think as much as Germany have probably been the best team maybe you could say a little bit better than England so far this tournament I think they did show weaknesses in the quarterfinal and I think France just have so many fantastic attacking players I think they will get chances in this game and on paper it should be should be a fantastic game to watch I think for the neutral yeah, I think it will be. I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. On the French, Gregor, 33 shots against the Netherlands. Uh, Germany haven't conceded as yet. What do you think is going to be the stronger, uh, the German defence or the French attack as we go into this? That's a tough one. I, I did the Germany game against Austria the other night and I, can, I wrote about the, the various strengths of, of Germany. And if I was to pick one weakness, I, I chose their central defenders. And look, I know they're, they're experienced players. Marina Hegering, she's missed a lot of football, but she's she's a she's an experienced player. And I just don't think really likes pacing behind her very much. And Wolfsburg, uh, uh, Catherine Hendrick is our, our defensive partner. She's she's a bit quicker, but I don't think she's that physical. Well, he was right. From there were some ex, some weaknesses exposed by Austria. One of them was set plays. And obviously France have, have Renard, who's, who's renowned for, for a header from set plays. You know, Austria hit the post three times. It, certainly there were some openings um, fashioned by them. So that's a difficult one. But I think if you also flip that, flip that round and look at Germany's strengths come forward, I think that France are in trouble. You know, also, it, it's also a strange point to raise when Germany haven't conceded a goal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, I did, I, did, I did make that point. It's like... They only scored eleven goals and not conceded any. I mean, I I would I would agree with them. I think that they they're the favourites, the favourites for the tournament. Um, and I also felt, despite all the you know the clear struggles they had against Austria, that they just always felt felt to me like they had another gear or two to to find still. And I, I kind of I felt that in most games, they've always found a way to to win depending on the opponent and. I, don't, I still don't really think. I think apart from the first game, perhaps against Denmark, they've not really hit the full stride. So I would say Germany are, are, are favourites. Um, but I absolutely agree. This has got the makings of a of a classic because France have got some thrilling attacking players and I think there's going to be goals. Who would you plump for, Molly? Um, do you think the French attack can get the best of that German defence? I think I'd have to go for Germany just because of the experience they have. And I think even when they don't, play very well you feel as though they can grind out a result whereas I'm not sure you can quite say the same for France I think 
in that quarterfinal, they they did dominate against the Netherlands. And I'm not sure they've really had a game where they've been properly tested that's mattered. Obviously, there were games in the group stage where they struggled a little bit, but they were kind of already through at that point. So it didn't really matter so much. And I think when it comes down to those crucial moments, that's when the, the togetherness of your team really shows, isn't it? And I think we all know that the French team have, have got some issues, whether it's with their manager or whether between themselves. And I think when it when it comes to a big game like this, I think you, you have to opt for, for Germany. But I have to say, I wouldn't be at all surprised if France did just look absolutely unplayable. They have that ability to turn it on. It's just whether they can or not on that big occasion. I'm calling another extra time game here. Okay. I didn't get it exactly right last time around, but it did go to extra time between France and the Netherlands. And I think this time again, it will, but I think there'll be plenty of goals. I've just, I just got a feeling this one could, could live up to billing. So I'm, I'm going to go France three, two after extra time. That's my big call. Probably be totally wrong. Like all the others. I think I agree with you. It could go to extra time, but I'm not giving you a score. I'm going just saying Germany won. <laughs> it could be anything it could be anything it could be like 4-3 I think this could be it could be anything because there are so many thrilling attacking players on the pitch Germany, Germany's wingers they're so direct they just get the ball and go at the defender all the time get to the byline and their, their deliveries are always excellent as well so they've got uh, you know and, and their first goal their, their goal against Austria the first goal was brilliant the way that Clara Bull kind of skipped to the byline, cut it back, and Pop was looked like she was about to finish on her left foot. And she obviously got the call for the dummy by Lena Magul, who's just a joy to watch. And she she tapped it away. They, that that front four, when they're really at it, are going to be tough a tough proposition. So I, I've got to plump for Germany, but I think the score could be anything. Good. We're looking forward to an entertaining game, Molly. Do you agree? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Germany on penalties just because... They need to get that over the over out of the way before they potentially play England. Um, and I, I would I would also say actually, Gregor's reminded me that Clara Bull has probably been my player of the tournament. I've just absolutely enjoyed watching her. She's probably done what Lauren Hemp kind of promised to do and hasn't quite managed. And I think if you're watching that game for the first time, maybe don't watch too much women's football. Keep an eye on Clara Bull because she's a really really exciting player with the ball. Okay, all right. It's all set for a a fascinating set of semi-finals in the Women's Euros. We'll react to all of it on Thursday. Molly Hudson, Gregor Robertson, thank you for joining me. Fingers crossed for England once again. Yes, this is a totally biased podcast. Remember, you can read all about it on the Times app, so make sure you download it. You won't miss an episode of this podcast if you just hit the subscribe button. And if you want more of our award-winning journalism, all the great stories from the Women's Euros, check us out online. It's at times.co.uk forward slash the game we will see you on thursday thanks for listening take care voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.